Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday afternoon. I don't have anybody for the Torah, so let's put that aside. So I'm going to go to the Tefillah podcast. Actually, I'm not going to go to the Tefillah podcast because we're closing that down for a while. Um, it's sponsored by Mishpachas Stefanski, and they requested uh, to talk about a different series, the Hainu, um, what is the end goal of all davening, which means how do we see the Jewish utopia, the Geula, the Mashiach time, the Summum Bonum, Lossi Lobo, Yemosa Mashiach, Heva Mashiach, and all that kind of stuff, which is a very complex topic in Jewish history. Uh, but I'm willing to take a whack at it. Uh, and so this will be a series of a number of talks. Uh, again, sponsored by Mishpacha Stefanski. And uh, I'll start at the beginning. That's what I'll do today. As I say, I'll take a whack at it. Uh, again, as I always put in as a disclaimer, it's just my understanding. Of it. You know, it doesn't mean it's the understanding, but it's mine. And as, as I said before, there's a lot of different... Um, what do you call it? Opinions that have evolved in Jewish culture, Jewish religious civilization over thousands of years. That's a big statement I just made. But anyway, without trying to sum it all up in one in the breath, let's just start with some general considerations. Uh, you start with the ideas, in my mind, that the Jewish religion posits a monotheism, a single God, um, but that's not all it posits. Um, it's a single God that, even though theoretically, philosophically, shouldn't have any characteristics, nevertheless is defined as having certain characteristics, and those are what you and I would call good ones. Uh, so no, they believe in Hashem, the Boreal, and Boreal means create everything, literally everything. So it's all-powerful. This is a, a omnipotent and omniscient. He knows everything and all-powerful. Because if he wasn't, there'd be two gods, you know what I mean? In other words, if he knew, if he was uh, powerful up to a certain point, beyond that, there'd be something else also there. But in addition to that, that's not all the Jewish religion posits, a single god. It also says that this God is good. And matter of fact, good beyond belief. And is a tov and a mativ. The Mekobon will even say it's dark or hativ. And all that kind of stuff. So in other words, you believe in, a, in, in the Jewish religion, and this has captured the imagination of the, other, of, the, of the others. That's why the other religions stole this from us. They came up. The Jews came up with the idea of a God who's all-powerful and is nice. And the two do not necessarily go together. As a matter of fact, if if I was all-powerful, I could be as capricious and as cruel as I felt like. There's nothing to stop me. Uh, usually, superpower 
carries with it the arbitrary exercise of power. So today I feel like pulling the, the, the wings off the fly. Well, who's going to stop me? I can do whatever I want. Heck with it. And yet, the Jewish religion, going all the way back, says it's not simply but, you know, meaning the, the, the God has a, a tov aspect. It's a benevolent. It's a positive. It's a plus. Um, this is, you know, quite an unusual kind of a business. Now, he doesn't have to. God does not have to be like that. In my dumbbell mind, because I'm not a makobal or anything like that, uh, but to me, the notion, this is the notion of tzimtzum uh, brought down at least to my level. And that is, Hashem could do whatever he wants, but he's mitzamsim himself. Notice, he, he keeps himself within the bounds of the good and the just. And in this week's Pasha, which is by here, we all have that famous conversation with Avram Avinu. That Avram, who is encountering God and discovering and knowing him and talking to him, is saying, How can you do something that's not Mishpadik? Now, why doesn't Hashem just simply give an answer like Maimonides? You know, I'm going to be Mishpat. I'll do whatever I want. I'm beyond Mishpat. But Hashem doesn't do that. Instead, he plays along and he says, you're right. The only thing is, are there 50 tzaddikim or 40 or 30 or 10 or whatever? Oh, so there aren't. The Avram Shavlom Akamo. Then shut up. You see that what you thought I was not just, I am just. So, but he doesn't have to be. So that's what he means. To me, that's the meaning of Simpson, which is a self-constraining. Uh, if I constrain myself, it means I don't have to constrain myself, but I, whatever for whatever reason I choose to. These are basic notions within Judaism. And the Torah, like you see in the Avram Avinu story, operates in this way. The whole story of the destruction of Yerush and the time of Noah, just off the top of my head, is because, you know, the Gimal Hamas. In other words, it was just. It, it, it was the right thing to do. Instead of Hashem saying, eh, heck with it, you know, let's blow up the world. You know? There are, in fact, a Medrash or two which said Hashem in all the worlds, and He made Him and destroyed Him, destroyed Him and made Him. But I don't think it's to be understood, not that I know this, in, in, a, in a strictly arbitrary manner, but there's some kind of a svar behind it. Now, that's what you start with. Then you proceed to the basic history of the world that you find at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, in uh, in Bracious and all that, and you get the general idea as follows. Paradise lost and not yet regained. Autumn and Chav are created. They're putting Gan Eden. Everything's great. It's an entire... What shall I say? It's an entire, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 utopia. And uh, and then it, they screw up. And they're expelled from paradise. So they weren't gone in and then they lost it. So that means that from now on you're going to have imperfect. But why? Hashem can make perfect. So why does he make imperfect? Well, the human being caused that. Why did Hashem allow that? I don't know. But he did. That's the Bechira thing. Okay. So that means from now on, things are going to be not the way they ought to be. It's And Adam and Chava never do re-enter paradise. They never do get back in the Gan Eden. That's the basic story. It's left to their progeny, and their progeny gets even worse. 
that they all get wiped out in the flood, as we all know the story. So that's the beginning of the history of the human race. And then you end up with Noah, uh, who, let's, without getting into the character of Noah, after it's all over, he doesn't rise to the occasion either. He got drunk and so forth and so on. And so the human race chugs along, still imperfect, not readmitted to the Garden of Eden. So you don't have Tikkun, Geula, all those words. So you end up with Abmavinu, who seems like he's on the right derech. And that Abmavinu may be able possibly to re, to to convert the human race to the right way of thinking. No, but it doesn't work that way. The most Abmavinu can do is get his own family plus some gerim. Same thing with Yitzhak Yaakov and all the rest. Of it. So the, the human race per se doesn't re-enter the Garden of Eden. Doesn't have a parent. And this is reflected in all the bad stuff because, you know, there's war, there's famine, there's killing, there's lying, there's jealousy, and a hundred other bad things. This is always the taina on monotheism. If you believe in, 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 in the whole, everything comes from one God, and it's a just God, then why is everything so bad? And there are no simple answers. And therefore either makes people uncomfortable or they'll say it's a good question or this, that, and the other. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's not a double pushet. Now, skipping through everything, the history of the Claudius Yisrael is they get to Harsinai. In the Jewish religion, the Harsinai could have been a, a Ghanaian moment. Right? But the Charis Malchamavis and so forth. But our understanding is that just as Zon Mechava messed up in Ghanaian, Claudius Rome messed up a Harsina and they made the Eagle Azov. So the result of that is the Harsina turned out to be, you know, not what, nothing special. So, no, it wasn't the end of the uh, uh, of the world's Gaulas. It's important in this way, but it's not what it should have been, it could have been, it was supposed to be. Because it's not what Hashem had in mind, if I can use that expression, when he gave the Torah. It should be for now one to be a reenactment of Ghanaian, but that's not how it turned out. And all this imperfection is the basic story of the Chumash and the afterwards. So eventually they get to Eretz Yisrael. They're told maybe Eretz Yisrael will become the next Ghanaian instead of Harsinai. But that doesn't work out either because in order for that to happen, the preliminaries got to get rid of the Shiva Umas and they didn't do that. And because they didn't do that, they immediately switch in large numbers to Vodazara. As we know, the story of the Tanakh, starting with the end of the book of Yeshua, down to Shoftim, and so forth. So what you and I generally call the biblical period, the period of Shoftim and the Bais Rishon, and David and all the rest of it, turns out once again to have been a possible experiment, but you know, an opportunity. But as the guy wrote in the book, there is opportunities that pass. Because even though David and Melch especially in the Jewish tradition, could have been a Mashiach-type character. He was a Mashiach in the sense that he was anointed, and he was a from guy, and, he's, and, and he should have been able to reverse all these negative things that I've been talking about, but it didn't happen for a whole bunch of reasons. I want to remind you, the King David's reign is considered a high point in Judaism. Nevertheless, if you read the, the Shmuel and all the rest of it, he was not popular. There were civil wars, there were uprisings. It wasn't simple. Didn't turn out to what it could have been. And Hashem even told David and Melchus, we all know you cannot build a base of Mish because your hands are full of blood. Uh, yeah. When it came to Shlomo Melech, 
again, theoretically, it could have been a reenactment of Gan Eden. And maybe I said they had a man build a base in Mish, but we all know it didn't happen because Shlomo, he messed up in his way. With the taxes and the too many wives and this and that and the other, as we know. So it's true that under David and the Shlomo, you had an opportunity, the like of which never came again, because the whole 12 tribes and the whole Kali Yisrael was in, was in Eretz Yisrael, united under one monarchy, and from, in the sense that the government was against the Zara. One second. I had to help Elisheba. Um, so you get the idea, David and Shlomo could, could have been, but it didn't happen. So again, you could rename the Tanakh as opportunities that, that, that we blew. Uh, and once, particularly Shlomo, because it says they, the Jewish people were Ochlim, Beshosim, Mesmechim, Ishtach Gafno. you know, it could have been something, had certain preliminary, uh, you know, characteristics of a utopia, but it, it certainly did not play out that way. Once Shlomo died, the kingdom split the two, then it was, a, you know, Gahaktatsaris, because everything went the wrong direction, as we all know. So basically, the Bais Rishon did not turn out to be a Moshe Mashiach, as it were. I'll say it again. They started out with two kings who were Moshiachs, in the sense that they were anointed. It says so. Shal, Dov, and Shlomo all had a Mashiach, you know, from, uh, from the oil. But it didn't turn out the way it's supposed to turn out. And certainly afterwards, it didn't turn out the way it's supposed to turn out when they... And then you have the Chorban of Bais Rishon. So that turns out to be an episode in Jewish history. However, uh, what happens next? Notice that basically in the time that we're talking about, you will not really find in the Chumash or in the book of Yeshua Shoftim Shmuel Malachim, shall we say, any kind of messianic passages, not really. Now the Rambam would say I'm wrong, and that the prophecies of Bilam of all people, are messianic because it says, you know, Darach, uh, what's the expression? Darach kochem yachov, umochas pase moav. That a, a star will burst out of Yaakov and, and smash the moav. Okay, I mean, I hear that. But you certainly can't say that when Bilam said that, people thought he's talking about some event that's going to happen after the year Tavshin, or what do we have, Pei Gimel, you know. Uh... They thought he was talking about something that happened earlier. And I'm sure many before him, the usual way of learning that it's not as a messianic prophecy, but some kind of futuristic prophecy Stalman developed around. You look in the Mephorshim, you'll find. So don't be surprised if you're not going to see any reference to a, a Mashiach type time in the Chumash, because they probably figured a time in the Chumash that when they get to Israel, be hopefully some utopia, but it didn't turn out that way. Then you get to the Bayashani period, which again was. Um, theologically very hard to define because what's the whole shot with Bayashani anyway? I mean, what do you need it for? It's there for 420 years. And then it all got destroyed. This question I'm raising is is in the book of Daniel where he, he's told it'll be 70 weeks. No, there's four time, 490, 420 plus 70. And they'll be all destroyed. So... If that's so, already in the time of Daniel, before Bayashani's built, already at the very beginning of the time, its doom is foretold. So we can't exactly say Bayashani was going to be a messianic era. 
Uh, now, maybe some people had hopes that way. There are some passages that indicate that, but it don't seem that way. And you'll find, interestingly, in the literature from the beginning of the Bayashani period, that general period, some of your Messianic-type passages in Zechariah, in Daniel, places like that. And those guys lived all the way, you know, as they say, at the very beginning of the Bayashani period, in the 70 years in between. By the time you get to the Bayashani and things are chugging along, it's pretty clear to the Jews this is not going to be a utopia because the entire Bayashani was one small period of exception. The Jews were ruled by Goyim. They're under the Persians, under various Greeks, and under the Romans. And they didn't like a bit of it, but there was nothing they could do. So you can't tell me it's a messianic era and everything's going to be utopian if we don't even rule our own country. And for a short time, the Maccabees revolted and established their own state. But it was so full of strife and civil war, and you didn't have the 12 tribes there. And it was constant, you know, this, the Prussian and Sadduqim and heresy. So it was pretty clear that that's not exactly what's going to be, you know, the final solution of mankind's problems and, the, uh, you know, a, a, a utopian era. So what did people daven when they were in the Bayashani period? I talked about it in the Fila podcast. I mean, you know, they obviously didn't daven what we're having now. We'd say, Hashem al-Kim, because they had a base of Migdash and things like that. So they, you know, they probably prayed that this should turn into a, you know, messianic stuff. I don't know. But at least you had, now, because of the extreme dissatisfaction that Jews felt with the matzav, beginnings of the idea that, you know, there has to be something better than this. And that Bayashrishan didn't work, Bayashin didn't work, but Bayashrishi will work. You see, like that. Um... And right now things are right, but one day things will be radically different and it'll get better. And historians can tell you that there were a bunch of people and movements and writings that were written and popped up during the Bayashani period, especially second half, which looked towards a glorious utopian messianic future. Some of these were by heretical and sectarian groups, like your Dead Sea and stuff like that, Dead Sea Scrolls. Others are in the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha. Some are in Chazal. And you start to see the idea getting more and more prominent that, you know, the utopia that's coming hasn't come yet, but it, it will come, as I said before, it'll probably be in, in, a, in the form of another base of English or something like that. Somehow or other, the, the Roman Empire will disintegrate and Eretz will become a paradise and I don't know what. Now, when the base of Misha was destroyed by Shani, Messianism obviously became very powerful, perhaps the dominant theme in Yiddishkeit, perhaps. Because if you ask the Jew... After the year 70, when the Beis was destroyed, what's up shot? You're under the Romans now, worse than ever before. The Beis destroyed. They're not going to rebuild it. They're going to get worse and worse to you. So a Jew, let me put it this way. A lot of Jews talk left Judaism as a result of this. And a lot of them created 
fantasized forms of Judaism, like the Christianity and things like that. Um, in the period just before the Korban, let's say the 50 years before the year 70, Josephus records a lot of Messianic type Jews. That is to say, people step forward and say, I'm the Mashiach, I'm going to solve everything. Oh, one. Yeah, I'm going to resume. So Josephus tells us that um, a lot of people stepped forward and said that they are uh, the expected ones, the anointed ones, and they'll kick the Romans out, and the base of shall be cleansed, and it will happen, I'll be nice. And of course, they were all wrong. They were all liars and things like that, or they were deluded, unfortunately. And none of that happened. Base of was destroyed, as we all know, and so forth. Matter of fact, there was even a messianic figure who said, come to the base of Mishra and Tisha above near 70, that's when you see the real Gula and you saw the opposite. When the base of was destroyed, obviously there was a gigantic blow to the Jewish people and their religion. The Goyim said, see, everything you predicted is the opposite. And uh, as you all know, a t- the Daraisa Judaism is heavily based on Beis Amigdash, Tomatira, Carbonus, and so forth. And all that was put out of business with the Chorban Bais Shani. So what do you do now? And a lot of Jews left Judaism because they, for one reason or another. They went to a paganism, they joined the Christianity, they joined all kinds of other things like that. Those Jews who, who remained Jewish said, yes, we lost the base of Mishnah, the Kahuna, and all the rest of it, but only temporarily we're going to get it back. And this is the beginning of what we call modern Messianism. Because from then it was clear that the Kali Thrall is not going to see its, its, its hopes for a utopia somehow realized in a Bayashenian or a Bayashenian. In the beginning, the Jews thought that the Romans, once they, uh, you know, their anger subsides, will rebuild the base of Migdash. But as we know, that never happened. And so the Kali Yisrael had to figure some way out to continue chugging along in the hopes that something, there'll be a radical improvement. This idea of placing your hopes in a radical improvement is what we end up calling Messianism. Either it's a Messianic figure or a process, or something like that. And that's why, although it's never clear exactly or unified, as you go through Chazal, you see these references to Yemos and Mashiach, and how things will be better, and people will eat gluskas, and all kinds of expressions. Just like it says in the Tanakh, lion will lie down with the lamb, Garzavim Kevis, or the, 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 the whatever, the, the Zev, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Whatever the case is, that there'll be some radical change for the better. So this obviously affected very heavily how Jews thought and how they daven, because now it's during this period that they put in all the stuff of Hashem and all the language that we use in davening, you know, Sitaenu Begulenu, and Shom Nasal Penechus Karbonus Chosenu, and so forth. So, as the Jews went past the Bayashini, the need was greater than ever before to undo the lousy situation Kalisro was in. And this gave more it gave pressure to talk more about Mashiach times. I, it's not in the Chumash. There were ways of getting around, of, of explaining that. 
But it is in the Gemara. But as we all know from the time of Chazal, there was no unanimity on how exactly the Messianic process is going to unfold. Instead, this rabbi says this way, that rabbi says that way. There's quite a variety if you go through Chazal, especially in, in Babel, Yushami, and, and the Medrash, the different Midrashim, there's quite a variety of how they, you know, foresaw. We call the Muslim Mashiach and the Geula and all the rest of it. There's even confusion about whether the Muslim Mashiach is identical with the Geula and things like that. Where's the Chiesa Mason fit in and so on and so forth. But suffice it to say that in the time of Chazal, you know, this is a basic idea. I'm Jewish. I'm a chosen people. I, what am I doing here in Bovel or in China or wherever? Is a temporary. That's true. But don't worry. Things are one day going to get better. When? Tomorrow or the day after the day after. It's going to get better. How would you find getting better? How would you define getting better? Oh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. But you see where I'm going. There was the necessity of the Jewish situation, especially it's gullous and so depressing and no end particularly in sight that drove the Jews to delve more and more on the summum bonum, on what's the highest good, or what's the Mashiach time like, uh, what would be position of Eretz Yisrael vis-a-vis and, you know, a hundred other issues of that type. Uh, so this is, the, you know, this, this is the basic background for people trying to understand how the Muslim Shiva is going to come, is going to happen. I would say even in the time of Chazal, you have two very broad ways of looking at things. One, you would say, I'll be sort of Derech HaTeva, and the other one would be Shloka Derech HaTeva. One would posit a process with a Jewish hero, like a Jewish, Jewish Maccabee type, culminating in the triumph and recapture Yushalayim and rebuilding the base of Migdash and the guy acknowledging this and others would have a different way of, uh, you know, of understanding how the scenario will unfold. I would say that in the late Chazal period, there were all these tracts of various sorts in which people imagined what it's going to be like in the time of Mashiach. But none of them became part of, you know, hard and fast duties. And I mentioned these Works most of you, if not all of you, would not have heard of them. Um, but this broad notion, what I just said, of this sweeping generalizations, or lack thereof, is extremely characteristic of Judaism. And um, I would leave it at that for the moment. Uh, so the question is, you know, how do we understand the most of Mashiach and all the rest of it? They start to really give it the thought and the form that we think of it today after the year 70. Because after all, it, it, when the basic mix was still standing by Esrish and by Shani, you didn't imagine what we the way we think about it today. You you thought that things in Eretz Yisrael will get repaired somehow or other. When that didn't happen, everybody's kicked out of Eretz Yisrael. It's a question of coming back. So then they had to think along different lines. So that's what I would regard as the preliminary discussion on the subject. And uh, we'll take it away from there next time. So I want to thank the sponsor, uh as always, for this new uh, Mahalak, this new series. And uh, we'll work our way through it, um, hopefully with, with um, uh, what should I say, a certain consistency.
For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.